Welcome everyone to another episode of The Rest, the podcast of Renew Grants Pass. We're so stoked to be with you. I have Anna here joining with us. Hi guys. And we have been doing a new series the last few weeks and um, we have been interviewing the speakers who are coming to the conference that's coming on May 14th and 15th. It's going to be a really fun time. And um, it's been really great being able to interview all of the speakers who are coming and kind of make this connection before the actual conference itself. And we are so excited because this week we have Dr. Eric Tonis with us. And so, Eric, you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. So good to be here with you to talk about important things. (laughs) Yeah, we are stoked to have him here. Dr. Tonis was one of my professors while I was at Biola University. He was my favorite theology professor. And so he was one of the first people we reached out to to have him come to the conference. And I'm so stoked that he's coming and stoked that he is on the call with us. And so we just kind of wanted to open up this conversation to get to know you more. So kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're at, and um, kind of the general introduction. Sounds good. I became a Christian when I was a little kid. Growing up in a factory town in Connecticut, my mother would read the Bible to me since my earliest days. And at some point, I realized I needed a Savior, and Jesus was that Savior. And I can't remember a time in my life that I wasn't aware of that and that it was really the most important thing in my life. And so I'm so grateful for that. didn't really grow up going to church, though. had some challenging family situations growing up, and so went long time without being discipled very much or having the local church be much part of my life, which is why one of the reasons I'm so grateful for it now and for meaningful discipleship now. But then uh, went off to college, played football there and played for a few years after that professionally in Europe and then got married right, uh, right after college. And my amazing wife, Donna, 32 years, has been my ministry partner ever since. And then went off to grad school and ended up at Biola University back in 99. Nice. That's awesome. Did you say 99? Yeah. That's the year I was born. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was born in 99. (laughs) 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 And then, then, yeah, I was teaching there and became a pastor at Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada not long after we got here. And been doing that ever since and I have four kids that I love dearly uh, they're all they've all been adopted three from Taiwan one from China so orphan care is near and dear to our hearts that's awesome and I love what I do that's, wow. that's awesome that's so cool that's great um so you're at Biola and how did like you end up there I guess or where did the passion for teaching come from um for, for you to decide to become a professor, go through all that schooling, and then be, be pouring into students? Where, where, where did that come from, or how did the Lord lead you into that? You know, as long as I can remember, even as a little kid, I remember feeling like I, I would think about things that seemed like almost nobody else was. Mm. I, I never liked just going through the motions. I never liked just doing what everybody else was doing. I like, really liked to think about things and ask, well, why are we doing this? Is this the, the best thing? And so I've always been curious about ideas and 
what motivates people as long as I can remember. And so I've always loved to learn. I didn't get serious about academics until college. And then really it took off. I just loved learning, broadly learning. And it was always worshipful for me. I saw learning no matter what it was, it was art or biology or psychology or history. It was learning about ultimately God because he made everything and he's guiding history. So I, it was worshipful for me as someone who knew the creator to study and learn. And so I really didn't dive into academics as a vocational pursuit, but just as a hunger to know and learn. I was a philosophy major at my state university. I didn't have one theist professor. Never mind wow. Christian. I didn't have one committed to a belief in God. I had a couple agnostics, but the rest were atheists. And I would fight for my life every day yeah. as a Christian, preparing for the challenges that would come my way in light of what we were talking about in class. So, so when I graduated, I wanted to study the Bible with people who loved God and loved His Word. And that's what I did when we went to Wheaton College and grad, graduate school. And, and then God just started opening doors uh, and uh, enabled me to have opportunities to teach. And, and then my good friend Dave Talley, who I went to did my PhD with at Trinity, got hired at Biola and started calling me every other day. I was living in, in Chicago in the winter, and he would email and sign at things like, in my flip-flop days, or <laughs> just back from the pool days. And, and, but, but that wasn't that difficult at all. It was just Biola. You could feel the Great Commission there. So yeah. I was teaching at Wheaton College at the time and just uh, really quickly learned to appreciate what Biola was all about. And so we came out here. Yeah. That's awesome. That that's great. Yeah, there's it's a it's crazy to see how the Lord guides along people's lives and how they end up where where they are. And so that that's that's so that that's so cool that you ended up there with yeah. with one of your colleagues, um Professor Lundy. That's 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 awesome. When going through that whole process and even like since then after being at Biola for for now a, a while, what what do you think there've been have there been really primarily challenges or events that have been most transformative in, in your walk with the Lord? Like what, what were those or, and, and how has the Lord kind of worked through those different significant events that, um, that, that the Lord's used to then kind of turn you into the person that, that you are at this point? Yeah. As far as events, I would talk about a really long haul event called local church involvement. Mm. And meaningfully involved in the local church and as a member of my church for a long time and, and one of the leaders, it's been incredible to see the word, the spirit, and the people of God intersect in a local church context in a way that has shaped me more than anything else. I, I'm so grateful for the family of God and the way God works through, through his people when we commit to a local church, not just the universal church, but the church local. I would say marriage to my incredible godly wife, Donna, was an event that has been profoundly influential as well. She is so incredibly wise and godly and discerning, and the fruit of the Spirit are alive and well in her. And so just who she is is convicting to me, and mm. just who she is rebukes me all the time because of her goodness and kindness and patience and gentleness. She's strong in so many of the ways I'm weak. So marriage has done that. Becoming a dad, especially... An adoptive father was powerful in my life to be on the other side. In my whole life, I sought to understand what it meant to be adopted by God, but becoming an adoptive father, being on the other end of the equation, was an amazing experience.
experience four times for us to see the love we had for our kids. Even before we met them in the flesh and were able to go pick them up, they had become our children in our hearts. And so really understanding God's adoptive love for his children went to a new level when, when I became a dad. And so all those things have really been significant. School, my wife and I have graduated five times together. Wow. Starting with high school. And so school, just formal education has been really important. We ran a group home for developmentally disabled men for mm-hmm. four years, right out of getting after getting married. And that was massively influential as well. Um, being an athlete for a long time in my early years was, was a big, big factor in, in who I've become. So lots of things. I could go on. God has been at work every day of my life through amazing means that I often didn't even realize and certainly didn't orchestrate. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, that's great. It, what, how did that go with you then? How did you meet your, your wife? If you graduated five times, you said high school too? Did you, were you guys high school sweethearts or how, how did you guys yeah. meet? <laughs> she, uh, so I, I moved in with my father when I was 16 and transferred to Donna's high school at that point. So we met when we were 16. I noticed her the first day. Her locker was kind of across from mine. And I noticed her at Valley Regional High School and um, quickly became interested but found out that she was dating someone. And they, they were actually classmates. Our- officially in the yearbook so yeah i had to wait around for 18 months for her to finally break up with this guy who was actually a friend of mine so out of respect for him i waited after they broke up just two weeks ago and and then moved in <laughs> like <a doctor>. that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> solid two and weeks and everything's fine <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, we started dating right at the end of high school and then got married right after college. Wow, that's awesome. That's that's a great story. Two that weeks, is, that's that. that's awesome. <laughs> Just two weeks, though. Are you still friends with that friend? Uh, he, he's a great guy. He's actually quite successful in, in many ways. And, um, yeah, he's a great guy. We're, we're, we're still acquainted with him. We, we kind of keep up on what he's doing and things he's he's family friends with Donna's family as well so yeah we we know what's up with with him that's great that's super cool yeah I think um one of the things you mentioned a little earlier is is the adoptive love of God Mm -hmm. I remember um while I was in class with you we read J.I. Packer's Knowing God and he has a whole section on adoption and Something about that passage specifically, I've I've gone back and referenced multiple times to understand the love of God that is so fatherly, and, and yet it's, even though we don't deserve it, even though we were aliens, even though we were far from him, he still loves us that much. And in, in the process of going through adoption and being on the father end of it, I, I feel like I, I've heard a lot of parents talk about how you, you understand the fatherhood and the father's love but when you yourself become a parent, but becoming an adoptive parent, there is a different aspect of that. Could you kind of explore that and flesh that out a little bit more? Yeah. I don't think you have to be a parent to do that. Uh, Jesus seemed to do okay. Understanding the father's love. And he, he never was a, 
a parent in the sense that we typically mean by that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, God uses all kinds of circumstances in our lives to teach us things. I've never had cancer, mm-hmm. but boy, I know people who have, and God sent them to seminaries called cancer in ways that the traditional seminary could never teach you things about him. And so God uses different circumstances in people's lives. So I don't think you have to be married to really understand God's love and the, and the gospel marriage metaphor. I, I don't think you have to be a parent to understand fatherly love. But certainly God uses those experiences in the lives of different people to, to profoundly teach us those things. And, and, you know, you mentioned Packer. Stephen, you were such a great student. It was so great having you in class. Um, and it, that that chapter impact on adoption is profound. And he, he talks about adoption really in some ways being the culmination of God's saving work in the salvation perspective. Because, and here's how he says, it is a great thing to be forgiven by God and an even greater thing still to be justified by him. But an even greater thing is still to be adopted by him because that it'd be enough just to be forgiven, right? But then we're declared righteous. And that that would be infinitely a source of gratitude. But but then to say, and then we're adopted as co heirs with Christ, that we have union with him, we're invited into fellowship within the Trinity that had existed for all of eternity. And and through union with Christ, we were adopted as family, as as sons and daughters of God. It's an astounding, wonderful place that God takes us in this. And, and so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a powerful metaphor. It's interesting. God uses both natural birth in the John 3, you must be born again. And he also uses the adoption metaphor to describe what God does in relationship with us through his saving work. So he gets all his bases covered. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's that's so true that the the adoption itself, it, or the becoming a son and daughter, becoming a part of the family of God, that it's the highest thing that that we can think of, and it's the basis of our prayer life, where it's our Father who art in heaven. It's the thing that gives us the confidence center in His presence. It, it's so when that shift takes place, when it's no longer just, um just a, a religion of forms that you have to do, but truly we're a part of the family of God and, and then are living up to, um, out of love, the, the, the character of who he is, the, the whole shift changes. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. That, that, that's, that's awesome. And, and in your work with students and working at Biola, I, I feel like it gives a unique opportunity to get kind of your finger on the pulse, I guess, of, uh, young evangelicals and to see what they're going through or, or what problems are facing or trends that might be coming theologically or culturally. And um, so w- what I, I was curious to ask you is um, with that, ha- what different threats or opportunities do you feel like are, are facing the modern evangelical church and, and then like young, young adults specifically um, is there any sort of theology, teaching, perspective, cultural movement, or, or what, what things do you view as, as the most, the, the biggest threat that, that might be infiltrating the church or biggest opportunity that, that the church can then press into mm-hmm. and, and really um, explore more? Uh, have you experienced I- anything along those lines? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really important question. When, when we seek to minister to people or do theology or teach or preach, we need to be thinking about not just what the text says, but the context of our audience. And that's the, the question you're asking. What, what are the challenges? What are the benefits? So I, I started working with college students almost 30 years ago, and it's been interesting to see so much stay the same because human nature is the mm-hmm. same and no matter what's going on people are people we're made in god's image we're sinful sin looks different but it's basically the same uh, the goals god has for us stay the same through human history uh, i read the bible and one of the reasons i believe it among many others is that it has such an incredibly accurate read of human nature just describes mm-hmm. who we are throughout the, the millennia so accurately but as far as the way things have shifted since I started teaching almost 30 years ago, when I started teaching 30 years ago, it, it was sort of the height of the, the seeker movement and the church growth movement principles taking hold and mega churches and celebrity pastors and really impressive engagement with the world and really wanting to not separate ourselves but be relevant. That was the big word, relevant. We've got to be relevant. And it's been interesting to see things shift through the years where my students now, I would say, aren't enamored by an entertainment mentality in the church. They're not enamored by things that I would consider far more shallow that they were attracted to, you know, cool pastors and and smoke and light shows and, and worship time. And again, there's nothing wrong with being concerned about aesthetics or wanting to know you're connecting with people and and so but at the same time well you can become very consumer entertainment uh driven in these things and and i feel like there's a wonderful departure from that i feel like students more and more don't care how cool you are they want to know you have integrity Mm -hmm. they want to know you actually believe this stuff and that you love them and and whether or not you know who just is on the bachelor or what Drake's latest lyrics are, they, that almost turns them off if they feel like mm-hmm. you're trying to connect on that level. It's like, come on, knock it off, boomer. And so, um, <laughs> I think, I think they're, I mean, that's a one, and that's, that's something I love. I would also add, I think my students are more compassionate than they've ever been. They really have a compassionate heart. It's just amazing that, um, it, even though there's such a, a secular and liberal drift among young people these days, one of the areas that's not taking place is in the area of, of being pro-life. A, a pro-life view is actually increasing among the young, I think largely because of ultrasounds and because of a general compassion for especially vulnerable people and who's more vulnerable than an unborn baby. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's just interesting to see the compassion. So those are the positives I'm really appreciating. Mm-hmm. Some of the challenges that come with that is technology has just taken hold in my whole time teaching yeah. to the point where we're probably the most distracted generation that's ever lived. Absolutely. We're constantly distracted. Mm-hmm. Very short attention span. Uh, just living on this dopamine hit loop that brilliant people have gotten us addicted to through technology and social media. So uh, viewing life through Instagram, you know, can't even go on a mission trip without immediately throwing everything on Instagram. Look at me with these kids of a different race in an orphanage. And it's hard to imagine that's not partly motivated by image instead of just really wanting to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And 
and here's a picture of me doing my devotions. Well, just read your Bible. Yeah, read no. your Bible. You don't need to put that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I suppose that could be encouraging, but it's hard to, to just read your Bible. It's okay. Don't think about Instagram all the time. And so the distraction, social media is really messed up our perceptions of ourselves and other people. And I, I would say this primarily. It, it's a patience issue. So I believe my mm-hmm. students want their lives to really matter and to be about big, important things. And and sometimes I wonder if they have the patience to become the kind of people who God uses in powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Because you, you become heroic in the kingdom of God by being someone who gets to bed a little bit earlier so you can get up a little bit earlier and read your Bible for half an hour before you dive into the day and pray and worship God. You know, it, we, we like a dramatic rescue girls from sex trafficking mission trip, but how about working in the nursery at your local church yeah. and praying for those babies as you hold them? Ah, that's not quite as appealing, right? Because mm-hmm. that's long haul kind of mundane ministry. And yeah. and I just, so the patience issue and the distraction issue are two I'm very concerned about. Yeah, and that's really interesting too because I think um, there's this balance where well, I don't even know that this is a necessary balance, but I feel like this is a balance that young people have in their minds that they're trying to figure out. It's like we have this technology available that can be such a powerful thing to reach people. But then there is that side of you're doing things just so people can see you do them. And and it's like wh- where's the, the line of using it as a tool versus using it for like self self um glorification yeah and and i again i i am not someone who has stewarded technology and social media well i'm not on it at all so so you you can accuse me of not using this this (laughs) platform but i'm more and more convinced of the manipulative aspects of it that Mm -hmm. we are what they're selling yeah no we are the product they're selling to companies through the social media platforms. That's it's just about connecting people. Yeah. Not at all. It's about making money with your purchasing power and manipulating that in a consumeristic way. So, so I'm very skeptical more and more of it. I just think it takes tremendous discipline that most of us don't have myself included for sure. To do it in a way that's that's truly edifying long haul. And C.S. Lewis didn't even read newspapers and was arguably the most impactful apologist of the yeah. last century. So yeah. so it's sort of this breathless keeping up on the latest in the twenty four hour news cycle and being so much about image, it doesn't mess, it doesn't lead to depth. It doesn't lead to the kind of character that actually ends up having the impact that I think we all want. I, I just think we need to invest our time, money, resources, and things that will sacrifice maybe a short-term kind of success for long-term faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, that, that reminds me of a book title. I haven't read the book, but I've read the title. <laughs> <laughs> the book title Sometimes is... Sometimes the title better than the book. <laughs> <laughs> Sums it up. This title was money, and I was like, this is, is so good. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Mm. And... When I read that, I, I realized that's so much of what the Christian life really is. And that's kind of what you were mentioning 
is that it's a long haul thing. It's mm. where character is built is not overnight. It's not in a microwave. It's over a long crock pot. Like it takes a long time. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Mm. And being that steady, consistent, steadfastness is is something that's so, it, it's so much more work and so much less flashy, but so much more meaningful. Yeah. And I think that's the, like I, I've noticed and um, just in a lot of my friends and, and in a lot of the conversations I have is that people are longing for that depth because they uh, we all recognize and see the shallowness of certain flashy things. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen that it doesn't really last. And what we want is that depth and, and the consistency that only comes from a long obedience in the same direction. And, and that's, that's something that I, I think our generation is, is craving, but doesn't even necessarily know how to go about it in some yeah. ways. You well, know? that's what I was going to say. I think that that's probably the most frustrating thing for people from like in our age range is that there is that desire for deeper connection and there's but like no knowledge of how to go to go about it. It's almost this like confusing reality where it's, it's like the world is so different and you know what you want it to look like. You have those, those people that you read about that are super influential and have had amazing lives and and you want that, but it's like, it just doesn't seem as realistic, which, which it is, but I just don't. Yeah. I think Steven's right. People don't even know where to start. Yeah, yeah, I, I even think in some ways it's more realistic. It, it seems less so because it does require discipline and patience mm-hmm. and a commitment to the things we know will help us to become more like Christ, mm-hmm. which aren't quick things. They're not. They're not fast. It, it, it's amazing how often the New Testament's message is a long, slow take up your cross daily mm-hmm. and follow me mm-hmm. press on fight the good fight guard the good deposit of faith entrusted to you it, it says your bible says you know judgment day is coming so don't give up assembling together as saints assembling the habit of doing it's just amazing he, he's, he's saying mm-hmm. and all the more as the day approaches judgment day is coming so go to church mm-hmm. do, do the things that don't run for the hills don't do something dramatic and how many messages do you hear about of a radical Christian life and all this stuff, but but radical sorts of impact happens when we live a mundane, disciplined dailiness to our lives that that leads to becoming the kind of people who are able to be heroic. Mm-hmm. We don't need any more Christian celebrities. We we could use some Christian heroes, and yeah. and there are plenty around. They just don't get much attention because they tend not to be the ones on social media who are cool and slick all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the ones in the kids wing praying over kids. They're, they're, exactly. That's where they are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I heard, a, I heard a, a guy saying that he had this image of going to heaven and this woman who taught second grade Sunday school for 60 years in her church, he, he, went to visit her and she had this massive mansion in heaven and and then this well-known celebrity pastor walked in from the other room and he realized that he was her butler (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's, That's <awesome>. so good. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> yeah. That's yep. No, but there's definitely something to be said about that that devotion of that quiet devotion and that non-self-seeking devotion. Yeah, and I think that's where like there's this um there's this sense that these big flashy things end up making the biggest difference or or something or like that's where the biggest impact actually is, but the character formation and the long-term things beneath the surface those are the things that actually do end up making the lasting impact. Cause I don't know how many big flashy things are here today and gone tomorrow, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but really the things that actually do make a genuine impact are the things that are the mundane. And I love how the, the how the Christian walk in some ways is so simple mm-hmm. where we want to make it more complicated than oftentimes it really is where we, where we know reading our Bibles, praying, going to church, living in, the power of the Holy Spirit, producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, these simple things, we we, we want to like speed that up or try and change that or make it more complicated or more dramatic. But those simple things are the things that that, that bring about the the lasting change. And I, and I love that it's simple enough for a guy like me to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you quoted, actually, everybody thinks it's Eugene Peterson's long obedience in the same direction because that was the title of his book. That's actually a Friedrich Nietzsche quote. That he used, he, he, and and so what's fascinating about that is here's here's someone who's anything but a Christian, and actually hates Christianity, and still sees. I mean, he, he's he still sees the value of a long obedience in the same direction, or he says we would never have virtue or art or dancing or reason or spirituality or music without a long obedience in the same direction. So he's still looking at things on an earthly plane and realizing you don't get anything really meaningful unless you can have a long obedience in the same direction. But how much more for those of us who are storing up our treasures in heaven who follow a humble carpenter who spent 30 years of his life in obscurity from a nowhere village before he started his public ministry. And, and it's amazing, though, how we can forget that and think the Christian life is this externally impressive thing that that impresses the world with the external impressiveness of it rather than, wait, wait, the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is the most foolish thing in the world does. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it does go back to Jesus himself, where I remember in class you were describing the humanity of Jesus and how he truly was a human, that he was not very tall, probably missing all of his teeth, Middle Eastern man. And no one, like Judas had to point him out by, by kissing him to all of the guards. He wasn't something so dramatic and flashy. He himself was a man just like, just like us. And, and at the conference you're going to be talking about, Jesus and and his person and his character and and just the normalness of it. I think that's, or or the power of it. And I think the normalness of the gospel is, is one of the most amazing things because it makes it accessible Mm -hmm. where he is a, a, a high priest, just, just who can sympathize in our weaknesses because he was just like all of us. And, And that the fact that God became a man to be normal, just like us is so, it's one of the most powerful things about the gospel is, is, is the normalness of Jesus almost in, in, in that sense. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, 
think this is at the heart of uniqueness of the Christian faith, and as you say, the, the, the power of it, that so unlike other religions that either think we need to transcend earthly existence or really become one with it, so we're really no different than it, this is a redemptive understanding of mm. things, that that seen in God becoming part of the creation through the incarnation, there's this redemptive purpose that he is accomplishing that's just awesome, that everything he's made for us to enjoy is redeemed in the redemptive work of Christ. It's not just forgiveness and redeemed sinners. It's the whole cosmos is redeemed mm-hmm. in the process. And so the gospel has the ultimate answer in a powerful simplicity, but a, a, a ultimate cosmic transformation of everything that happens so that it really is heaven and earth are one that it is on earth that is it is in heaven one day and that's what we pray for now that we'll get glimpses of that but that's where we're heading so we're the redeemed people who are pointing the world to the ultimate redemption to come yeah yeah that's so good the the that the fact that it isn't just it, the world is redeemed that it's all made new gives so much worth and value to our everyday's existence values to our bodies that are going are valuable enough to be resurrected, yeah. <laughs> to, to be to be actually redeemed and brought bought back by the blood of God is is just so so amazing. And, and so when you're, you're coming this this upcoming May to talk about the gospel and the good news and Jesus Himself, and in preparation for that, I guess um what has been or what is like one aspect of the gospel that has been particularly meaningful for you um, or uh, per- particularly transformative for you? Well, I, w- I would say that what we were talking about before, that the gospel isn't just having my sins forgiven. It's, it's not just subtraction of my sin. It's addition of Christ's righteousness. And the union with Christ that, that occurs by repentance and faith is transformative and and brings us into a relationship with God that actually makes what Adam and Eve had in the garden seem like a small change because they had fellowship with him but we have uh, a, a partaking of the divine nature through union with Christ and he, he's not ashamed to call us brothers it says that that we're brought into this kind of fellowship and we will rule and reign with him one day. So the union that a baptism symbolizes is as powerful as anything. And it's done. The sufficiency of Christ's finished work is an awesome thing to think about. And there's something in me that hates grace because it means I don't deserve, earn, prove any of it. He does it all. And that's why he gets all the glory. And I'm swept up in his redeeming work. So, so the, the awesome, amazing, truly amazing grace of the gospel in the union with Christ that's uh, to the heart of the gospel should, should transform our lives so that idols seem completely foolish mm-hmm. and the things that tend to get our hearts rather than God are seen as the false gods that they really are. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think about the, the verse a lot where it's, talking about hating your father and is it your just like essentially mm-hmm. like hating your family and and your love for Jesus and I think 
that that verse and that passage can be really off-putting because it's like, what does that mean? But I think what I've come to think it means as I've gotten older is that your love for God should make any, because obviously you're not going to hate your family, but the love for your family compared to your love for God should look like hate. And that like how much you love God just has to be so drastically yeah, and I think that's a, I think that's a really excellent way to put that. It, it's a relative love statement. Yeah, I don't mean you don't love your your closest relationships, but relatively speaking, your love for God so uh, outweighs any other love, even yeah. the, the best of human love, that it, it's it's as if it's hate. And how meaningful that was to believers in the first century and throughout the history of the church, many of whom were completely disowned by their earthly families when they became Christians. Yeah. And it was a, actually a matter of saying goodbye to yeah. their earthly families yeah. because they were rejected, because they left the religion, the, the culture of, of, their, of their past life. And so it, it, it's anything but, but sort of theoretical or hypothetical for, for many Christians throughout the history of the church, it, it often did come down to who do you love more? Yeah. Jesus or your mother and father who you'll never see again if you're baptized. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's an astounding radical relative statement. Now it's wonderful when, when it doesn't require that totally. kind of choice, but, but boy, it really puts things in perspective as far as what competes for our hearts. Yeah, it really does. It's a, it's a huge comparative statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we kind of wrap things up to close the time fat, the time passed so fast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as we kind of draw to a close, one, one final thing I, I wanted to ask you is what <laughs> if you had any book recommendations for for everyone I, uh, about any topic or, or anything? It, what, what are some best book recommendations that you might have for everyone? Recommendations or your favorite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, recommendations or favorite. <laughs> yeah, the, as as I'm sure you realize, that can be a tough question because different yeah. times in your life just have a big impact. But I, as I'm thinking of the sort of stage of life, probably the majority of the people who will be coming to the conference, for instance, will be coming from. I'm just thinking of the books that really had a big impact on me in that chapter of my life, and. One of them is Shadow of the Almighty, The Life and Testament of Jim Elliott, written by his wife, Elizabeth, mm. which was mostly the journal entries of a college student. And, and what reading Jim's statements to me, it, they called me to thinking about discipleship in a way that wasn't culturally banal, mm. that, that it was just this least common denominator kind of discipleship. As long as I'm doing as well or a little better than average Christians these days, I'm doing okay. Rather than that, Jim would go to the New Testament and say, oh my, the very sorts of things we're talking about in this conversation. But this is my entire life. This isn't part of my life, even a major part of my life. This Jesus is my life. And he has complete claim on everything. Yeah. And so it just, it, it caused me to say, well, here's a man my age, or even younger when he's writing some of these art uh, entries, who is seeing discipleship in a way that I just don't hear much. And yeah. so that was really helpful for me I'm reading, to, to read that. Sorry. 
Um, I'm reading through Gates of Splendor right now, and it's so convicting because it's crazy to hear just the perspectives that each of those men had and how dedicated they were. Yeah, I those two together are a great combination. The, through Gates of Splendor and Shadow the Almighty yeah. were really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read Near Christianity when I, I think I was 17 or 18 by C.S. Lewis, and it was this amazingly clear uh, defense and presentation of a Christian worldview that and not only what he wrote, but how he wrote with such clarity and this logical precision was so helpful to me, both in his method and his content. It was very helpful. I remember reading The Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards, and it had a massive impact on me again when I just thought about true signs of a, of a true work of God. He, he talks in the beginning about counterfeit signs, things that Satan could or would um, be able to counterfeit. You know, you love worship experiences. You actually love reading the Bible. A lot of non-Christians get a lot from reading the Bible. You enjoy Christian fellowship. Those things aren't necessarily true signs of the work of God. And so he strips away false, potentially false indicators, and then he rebuilds it and basically says a true sign of the work of God at its core is a deep, abiding, and growing love for the beauty of God's perfections. Mm-hmm. That it's not even that I get out of hell, but that I have seen God for who He is. I've beheld His glory in the face of Christ, and I'm never the same. So the, the religious affections was really helpful. I read a novel, a young person uh, called The Curate's Awakening by George MacDonald, which is very helpful as well, thinking about what true faith looks like. Those are a few. Yeah, those those are great. Those are yeah. those are great recommendations and. Um, I can second a couple of them that they were fantastic reads. And so definitely encourage anyone listening to, to pick those up and and check them all out. But um, yeah, we are out of time, but thank you so much, Dr. Tonis for jumping on this call with us and coming to the conference this May. We're, we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do. And we're excited to have you here in Southern Oregon. And um, we, we definitely appreciate your time. I am so looking forward to being with you all. I, I have been praying for this, and I so appreciate the, the thoughtful, prayerful intention that you're all putting into this. And I, I'm confident God's going to use it in powerful ways, and I'm just privileged to be a little part of it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're excited for it. Lord. So I hope you have a, have a good rest of your day, and we'll, we'll be in contact soon. All right. Thank you, dear ones. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. All right. Bye. All righty. Bye. Well, that was our conversation with Dr. Tanas, the legend himself. (laughs) What I I loved about that one was um, our very first podcast, um, which was only two podcasts ago. (laughs) (laughs) A long time ago. (laughs) This is a long obedience in the same direction. (laughs) We are three in. Man. Just steadfast is how I would describe <laughs> this podcast. Me too, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> but what we were talking about in that one is just how fun it is to talk about mm-hmm. scripture and talk about God. And I think that that conversation with Dr. Thomas just for me kind of does um, emulate that and show that yeah, that's true because that was super fun and enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hear his perspectives and what he thought about things. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely super good. In those books, I would recommend to anybody. And if anyone is a part of the Thursday night group and would like to borrow any of those books, I had a few of them, not all of them, but a couple of them. Um, not two of them because I have them. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to ask Anna for once she's done borrowing them from me, then you can have them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's so good. I asked that same question to him while I was down at school. I got an office hours thing with him where it's just like 30 minutes where you just get to talk to the professors. And so I, I scheduled one with him and I asked him what books he would recommend. And the the first thing he did actually is reach <laughs> behind him, grabbed an ESV study Bible and slapped it down in front of me and said, read that. And I was like, thank you. Yes, I will read that. Yep. Any, any other books? <laughs> and then he, he recommended the Jim Elliott book. And so I, I, I picked up that one. And then he also had a, the Jonathan Edwards book on hand that he gave to me. And that one Fair warning for everybody. It's one of those that's going to take some perseverance because it took me a, like a year to read because it was so dense. And uh, but it was so good. Like he was saying that like what the genuine work of God in the believer looks like. It was so good. I'm going to reread it at some point, but it's it, it's a powerful, powerful work. And so any of those I definitely re- recommend. And um, yeah, do you have anything else you want to add before we close? No, just time i'm yeah. so excited to hear from him at the conference and just again i've said this before but just reiterating that the people who are coming and i think he touched on it a little bit we were talking but like i really feel like the people who are coming to the conference are those heroes in the christian faith yeah. and they might not be the biggest names in the christian community but they are just some of the most genuine people I feel like I've talked to. And mm-hmm. I'm just really excited for them to be here and for them to impart their wisdom and be part of what's coming this May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting to see. Yeah, And if you have any questions for us, make sure and reach out either on Instagram or in person. And we will be talking to you later. Yeah, have a great day. <laughs>